Blog Talk Radio. There's no earthly way of knowing. <laughs> Good man, a lot of time. Which direction we are going? Direct the El Camino. It would have been DWI. have reached a tipping point. as well on the nature of the modern wrestling fan and what should be done about them. At last, at last, Larry. So excited. <laughs> this is Larry Goodman and I'm, of course, Stephen Platinum getting to live my dream of exterminating the mighty wrestling fan at last. So, All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But for a couple, a couple uh, preliminary things before we get Nick in the uh, studio here. Did I understand this right? I heard this, mm. I was listening to Brian Alvarez yesterday, that even though there's going to be a title unification, there's not going to be just one WWE world champion. Did I understand they that right? They don't know what unification means. Yes. In fact, I was, <laughs> they there's not going to be just one champion. And apparently there's already arrangements for whoever wins that match betwixt um, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar will have the only world title for about a minute until they <laughs> basically have a second world title. So oh. whoever represents whichever brand then the other brand will get their own world champion. Uh, so enjoy enjoy the specialness of it. Uh, and, and in addition to other special things happening at WrestleMania that aren't really special, uh, Vince McMahon is supposedly going to wrestle, but he's not going to wrestle because it's going to be Austin Theory in his place, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, thank God for that, that he's not going to. And let's hope Stone Cold is limited so that he doesn't get hurt. And, and we can hopefully we can fish out Gilberg as well. And uh, <laughs> um, you know they've sold uh, fifty-five thousand seats out of the hundred thousand seat venue, which is again nothing to be ashamed of, um, most certainly. But they've been bogoing um, tickets for more than a month now. So oh, really, I suppose the I suppose the uh, pressure is on to see if they can fill up that building more for the visual than for the financial part of it. Again, it's just one of the weird things about wrestling where at least it seems like a WrestleMania isn't yet immune to this idea of, well, we really should try to sell this thing out. (laughs) So 
and apparently their return trip to Madison Square Garden, they are now realizing, boy, that looked really bad when we sold 3,000 tickets. So we're going to try to do yeah, a little better. They're loading up on that show, aren't they, now, to, to try to they sell are. as much as yeah. – yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of ticket sales, I checked the uh, – how things are moving for the Game Changer show in Atlanta on March 12th. Ooh. Looks, it looks like they're, they're right now they're at about half full. Uh, looks like about 325 out of a possible, you know, right around there, out of a possible 650, maybe 350. So just a little over half full so far with about, what, 10 days you, to go before the show. But, I mean... Nick Gage signed that exclusive contract that means that he can only wrestle, apparently, at every single promotion that I see bringing him in. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I rip on GCW a lot. I think it is the oddest promotion in terms of the things that they choose to do. I just find it to be an incredibly bizarre promotion. Um, well, I, I, like they, I will say they have two two good matches, at least two very interesting matches signed for um, Atlanta, which is they've got, um, oh, what do I want to say, Nick Wayne versus A.R. Fox. And hmm. who's got, yeah, they got Nick Wayne and A.R. Fox, and then Gresham's got a really good match, which I'm forgetting who he's got. And Cardona will be on the show, Effie will be on the show. God, I'm just it's escaping me who Gresham's got, but he's there's a real a real good Gresham match on the show too. So that's it. that's that's interesting. That that's probably enough to get me there. Oh man, yeah. I mean, you know, between GCW's there, ICW is in Chattanooga um, for yeah. the Iceberg Tribute Show. It sounds like Anarchy um, did a fantastic Iceberg Tribute as well. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Anarchy drawing the was that the biggest crowd in their history um, for a wrestling show? Well, I mean, who's saying that? But, that, that? That would that would be over three hundred. I, mean, I didn't hear, I didn't hear three hundred. They, they, no, I heard three. Big, I heard, I heard three hundred. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. Uh, apparently, not only is there standing room only seats, but there's sit on somebody else's shoulder seats. How the hell do you get 300 <laughs> people in that building, Larry? It can be. It's been done. I mean, I've seen it done. So I, you know, I've been there when there's 300. So I know it can be done. Um, not with the with the current configuration, though. That's really that's uh, that's pushing it. But here's the amazing thing about that Anarchy show. They did it with a show. This wasn't hardcore hell. This no. wasn't honoring the great Larry Goodman. I get that. This is a setup show for hardcore hell. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe I, not I, even the go home. So I don't like truly, and there, there is wizardry abounds uh, um, in Cornelia, thanks to Rick Michaels and um, Matt Hankins. No doubt yeah, well, about I think, that. I think the Devil's Rejects thing has really put it over for this show, clearly, to, to get that kind of and, crowd for this show. And it sounded like just an amazing show, a brilliant show. I think Joe Black 
finally besting <laughs> Mason, who did such a great job, but then basically get, you know, here's my clothesline. Well, here's my clothesline. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a phenomenal, phenomenal booking fee. And um, <laughs> it reminded me of, honestly, I thought, you know, for Honky Tonk Man's heralded intercontinental title reign, I thought the way they ended it was one of the best things about that reign. Uh, it sort of ensured its legendary status by just having the ultimate warrior basically roll over him, which mm-hmm. really set up ultimate warriors, Superman like run all the way to beating Hogan. Um, and you know, I just, it should never be understated how your reign ends is every bit as important, honestly, to me, on how you win it um, and how your reign goes. I think too often people don't, people sort of underestimate the importance of how you lose that title. And you should, as a chicken shit heel, you should give it all up. Not, not everything has to be a back and forth Matt classic. And I think Scott Mason's reign um, was impeccably handled. And, and he gets a lot of the credit for that, for making that thing so important, putting the title in the baby carriage, all that stuff, I thought, was just great throughout. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely his best work of his career, and if there was ever a chicken shit heel, he's that guy. Um, well, one other uh, quick note, we, I guess we had another uh, serious death match injury uh, on that Game oh. Changer show. A uh, glass in the eyeball for Alex Zane. Pierce Globe emergency per- surgery. Yeah, yeah. They did some sort of a spot where he went through a, a pane of glass, a shard went right into his eye. You know, that so is my would... greatest fear, having attended many of those things, especially when I would attend at places like, um, you know, No Peace Underground when you're right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd often thought about wearing goggles, but at the very least, any any picture you see of any kind of huge glass spot, you will see me with my little slanty Asian eyes tightly shut and my head turned, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, so, of yeah. course, we wish him all the best and uh, really scary, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shall we try to get Mr. Nick Patrick? Oh, please, I can't here. wait to hear this. Yes, so yes. Let's see if we get him. Using the dialing gimmick again. Larry, dial him up just like the uh, using a lifeline here on our. <laughs> who, who All right, yes, I believe we. I believe we have Nick Patrick on the line. We're so we are thrilled to have the former referee, wrestler, manager. I mean, excuse me, not manager, general manager, Booker. What hasn't he done in wrestling and the uh, masterminding the revival of Deep South Wrestling? Welcome to the Tipping Point, Nick Patrick. Hello. Hey. Can you hear me? We're good. Yes, yeah. sir. Good How deal. I can hear Mr. you now. Excellent, Mr. Patrick. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, man. I've been having, running all day. I got a show coming up Friday and. I take care of some of my folks, my mom now and my oldest son. I've just been running all day. 
and I am kicked back and ready to talk, man. Whatever y'all, what's going on? How y'all doing? <laughs> doing great, doing great. So, Nick, my my name is Stephen. I'll fire up the first question. Um, sure. Obviously, you've had a a storied career, to put it mildly. Um, at what point do you feel like you made the transition um, from talent to office? Or has that always been kind of a part of your thing? At what point did you start getting more involved in the wrestling business beyond the guy who was just basically hired to be a referee, to be a wrestler? At what point did those kind of things start creeping into your career? Uh, when Papa and I first opened Deep South is when I started learning about managing and you know the, the business end of things more. But uh, then I got on with WCW, and then eventually after that with WWE. And uh, uh, I didn't really play an office role in WWE per se so much because uh, they weren't looking for an agent role when they, you know, when they, uh, when they bought WCW. And I just, uh, I was one of the few that was able to make the transition, so I just uh, went with the ref job. And I was really kind of glad because, uh, man, to be an agent up there at that time, as they call them producers now, they, you had to be really thick-skinned. And they was, uh, it was, life was a constant test to see how much crap you take. And I just, I just wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that after a 12-year run with WCW. And as far as the office in and WCW, I had I worked my way up to being one of the road agents there for about the last year, year and a half that they were there. So I was uh, had worked my way into the office at at that point too, and and at the bigger level. How did you get a gig? How did you get a gig as a road agent? Is it something that just sort of you transitioned into? Did uh, you just kind of? end up doing a lot of the roles and then eventually they made it formal. How does, how does one transition into becoming a road agent for WCW back in the day? Well, I, I'd worked with so many of the guys and, uh, and, and from my earlier experiences, like from back way back with Georgia championship wrestling, I mean, I've worked with, uh, with everybody from Thez to Cena as far as, as, as world champions go. And, uh, but when they were, whenever we would be like at TV, a lot of the matches that I had, they would want my input because I I knew a lot about different, you know, I knew about different people's styles and finishes and what was working and what wasn't working because I was working all the shows on the road, you know, and uh, so they they yeah. liked they valued my input and and I actually when I did go to WWE, they didn't want me so much as a uh, they they made me a head ref eventually. But what they wanted me to do, because Vince pulled me aside, because I could remember the tons of crap, you know, from because back when uh, I was with Georgia Championship Wrestling, they didn't have five refs. They had one guy a lot of the times. Everybody was so amazed when I did that NWO pay-per-view by myself. But hell, I've done a lot of a lot of shows by myself. You know, I wasn't, wasn't the only one, but that but back in the day, you know. But uh, anyway. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but what was the question again? I got all rattled off about doing the NWO show all about. Oh no! Great. <laughs> hey, uh, Nick, I was want to go way back to the um, early '80s. Um, you know, that, that I go back that far of going to shows in Atlanta. So I first saw saw you as a referee, yeah. and I was really curious yeah. about you, you're going from referee to active wrestler, like in the mid '80s, and your run as an active uh-huh. wrestler. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, well, I always wanted to be a wrestler. You know, I grew up 
in in the industry. My first gig in the business, I was in the uh, sixth grade. I was ring I ring announced a couple of times, and you know, I'd, I'd go on the road with my dad in the summertime when he was in town, and uh, and there was a couple of times that they you know that somebody didn't show and they needed somebody to do this or to do that, you know. And, and I, hell, I was in the sixth grade. My first gig, they threw me in the ring as a ring announcer. And then this little, it was a little like a National Guard Armory type building. I think it was more of an agriculture building or something. But uh, they didn't have a microphone or a megaphone or nothing. And there I was, I was scared to death. I was, I was that kid in class. If they called my name to read, I was like, oh, good God. You know, I just, you know, I'd be hiding behind people because I didn't want to talk in front of people. You know, I didn't, I was very shy. And now all of a sudden they're going, and Pop, it was like Pop was like taking me and throwing me in the deep end. So, oh, the kid can do it. I was like, oh my God, I can do it. And, uh, but I did. I got in the ring and I, I, got in the, I just had to yell. I'd say, and in this corner, <laughs> I was pointing with my little finger. And they, I guess the guys got a kick out of it because uh, they let me do it a couple of times. And I was making like 10 bucks back in, you know, I was in the sixth grade when I did it. But that, that was big time for me. It was my first introduction. And I mean to tell you, I was scared to death to get in front of people. And uh, But it helped me, you know, eventually now. Now I learned how to cope with it, you know. I mean, still, even to this day, you get get nervous working in front of a crowd I, if you don't then you don't have passion to me and uh, mm. Bob Boy said that you know you get to where you don't you know it's like ah you just cruise through it and then something is missing there you know what I mean and uh but uh it, it, it's interesting but, uh, to hear you say it's interesting to hear you say about being your fears of being talking in front of people considering your dad was a you know really a, a legendary promo and interview guy um yeah yeah it's uh you wouldn't think, huh? But uh, I guess I got that from my mom's side. My mom's really quiet. But then you know, I, I come out of my shell now. Don't, don't yeah, yeah, mom. yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so did you? Were you training to wrestle as you were as you were refing? Uh, I was really working out, but I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't overly huge, you know. When I graduated high school, I was like 189 pounds, and I was wiry. I was an offensive lineman at 189 pounds. Can you believe that? I was an offensive tackle. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> I, I was honoring now. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't very big. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just kept working out, and uh, the referee thing popped up. You know, it was just the first thing to happen. You know, I was I, I was going to college part-time. I just got out of high school. And uh, my family moved to Missouri because my dad got a booking job up there. He just wrapped up in Louisiana. And he wanted to be home with his mom because his mom was, my grandma was starting to fail in her health. And my uncle was, you know, sitting up there and having, starting to have heart problems and stuff. So he took a booking job back at Central States. And we moved back to Missouri for a year. That's where uh, mm. all my family came from. I was, I was born there. And uh, actually, that's where I, I broke in. I was going to college, and uh, I was going to a, a town with Pop. I was going to Fort Dodge, Iowa, and a lizard kid. Oh, my God. You know, and, 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 and wow. Kept going. <laughs> you know, we, we made it, but only about half of the crew made it. So they still had a show with the guys that made it, and it was an old guy, Ronnie Etchison, an old-timer. He was yeah. no referee, but instead he wrestled, and they slid me into the ref spot. And I was like, well, sure, yeah. You know, so I watched it all my life. I'd ring it out. I'd been around, and the pop just told me what to, you know, a couple of things to do and what to look for. So I did it, and uh, they liked it. They said, hey, damn, kid, you did a good job. How would you like to uh, 
do like maybe one one house show a week and our TV on the weekend. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, so I was going part time. I was going to college and and uh, ref doing breaking into wrestling wrestling business part time. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> So the referee really cur- came up first. That's why I jumped into that first because that was the first opportunity. So you were mm-hmm. you were wrestling shows in, in the Central States area. At the, at, is where you started to wrestle. Yeah. yeah, that was my very first first uh, in ring gig. I mean, I did the ring announcing thing back when I was a kid. We was living in Georgia, but uh, that was as far as, as getting the ring and being part of the actual part of the match. Then uh, that was that was the first time. What was it like re- wrestling for Bill Watts in uh, Mid South? It was a, it, he was a butthead. But other than that, it was a fabulous experience because the talent he had there was was well, it was all the guys that Vince stole and 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 stuck all those WrestleManias with, you know. And you you would work every night. I was there for six months and had two nights off, and uh, I worked with somebody every moly. night. And, yeah, I worked with, I mean, you'd work nights, you'd go out there with guys, and sometimes you'd just go out there and you'd keep your ears open and your eyes open and your mouth shut and listen and learn. And then there's, you'd go out there some nights with guys that were just absolutely freaking horrible, and you'd have to try to figure out how to get something out of them, you know? <laughs> and so, and so that's how you learn, you know? You're just somewhere different every night, you know? You could be in the ring with JYD or... or, or, or Ted DiBiase or or Eddie Gilbert or one of those guys one night, and then the next night you'd be some guy you you never heard of before, and he got there, and, and he wants to grab a rear chin lock and sit there for fifteen minutes. And I'm like, wait a second, now this is, I'm trying to keep a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey Steve, you got you got something for uh, Nick? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, Nick, is it safe to say that? that deep stuff it is a passion project for you what you have to be insane to actually run <laughs> and own a promotion um do you feel like this is going to be a big uphill climb for you do you uh what are your ambitions um what are what are your thoughts as you're entering in to this rather um challenging venture right now I'm not looking to try and corner the, the, the wrestling market. All I'm trying to do, it, it all started up, uh, we had the old Deep South equipment, and we had it stored up, and Pop had split his ways, had gone separate from WWE, and they had a lawsuit going on and all that stuff. So we had all the equipment put away, and Pop's got a big metal building on his property. And... uh my youngest son was thinking about training to wrestle, so we set the ring up and kind of turned it into a little gym in there because we had all kind of weights and, you know, just stuff, you know. And uh, he got to where he was really way more interested in the technical end of it. But I still had the ring set up, so I had a couple of people that, you know, were looking for a place to work out, and then the pandemic hit and all the gyms closed down. And so I had a handful of guys that was looking for a place to work out, and, and I was letting them work out there. And... uh so that start, then all of a sudden people started looking to train. So I just started a little small thing. You know, I'm not trying to trying to just start a training academy like they've got down in Orlando, and I'm not trying to start you know run competition with Vince. But I'm trying to present 
local, the best of the local guys that I've seen from doing little shows around here and from watching, you know, on the internet and from people that I know, you know, from their reputation and just put together, it was going to be a monthly show, but that, that's turned out sometimes, you know, with all the circumstances I've had coming up in my, in my life in the last six months and doing a monthly show just wasn't really, isn't really in the cards right now. But I'm just trying to showcase local guys that are trying to get looked at. And some of them have been looked at. A lot of them have been looked at, but for one reason or another, hadn't broken through onto a main roster somewhere or whatever, but they still have the drive and they still have the passion and they go out and they know how to perform. And I try to get guys that, you know, that have different, and ladies, I, mean, I say guys. I mean, you know, that's just the old slang term. Yeah. And because I've I've got a very diverse card coming up. Some somebody pointed that out to me, and I was like, well, I didn't even realize that. I, you know, I didn't. I, you know, it wasn't something that I set out to do. You know, I just you know, if somebody comes to me, I don't care who they are, what color they are, or what gender they are, what they believe in or don't believe in. We're about wrestling. We're not about politics. We're not about religion. We're not about, you know, we're, we're about wrestling and entertaining. Because I've found, and I've sat there, you know, I've advertised on Facebook a lot. And I've got tons of friends from people that I've worked with and known for years. And I've got friends that are far left, and I've got friends that are far right. And, and mm. I've got people that are screaming and arguing. And to me, I'm somewhere like I lie in the middle. I don't, I, you know, you know what I'm saying? But I found that wrestling is the one thing that if you don't talk about religion or politics, everybody, no matter how far left or how far right you are, whatever, gets along and enjoy and, and has fun. You know what I mean? And yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm trying to present. I, I, you know, and I, and I don't exclude anybody. If you come to me, I don't like I said, I don't care what creed, color, what you, whatever your belief is. If you're going to put in the work and you've got something to offer and you're going and you're going to go out there. And get it done, and you can, and you've got something that's entertaining. Then I've got, then I've got a spot for you. You know, for someone who was afraid to pick up a microphone in sixth grade, <laughs> I gotta say yeah. that was pretty yeah. you, freaking you, you great. You can't unplug me now. <laughs> you can't unplug me now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's lovely. I mean, I just uh, you get the feeling that it's a passion project, and now you've confirmed that that's true. I'm super oh, excited, Larry. Yeah, definitely. Larry. Definitely. We, when I started back, it was because Pop and I, there was a couple of little projects Pop and I did outside of Deep South that, uh, you know, somebody wanted us to help get their little thing running, and we would write shows for them. And that that was just so much fun for us, man. We Pop out here next to his big metal building where we got the ring set up. That's where I train everybody, out on our property. He got another building that's set up where it was his man cave with a huge desk and all kinds of wrestling memorabilia in there. And, and that's where we wrote a bunch of the shows. And I just went and wrote a Deep South show in there the other night. I posted it on Facebook. I went in there, and I sat down at Pop's desk, and, and I was writing a show. And then I got to looking around, and there was a picture that Pop had with a couple of guys that were fans from Columbus that come to visit him, you know, and uh, – he liked to talk to these guys. He gave them masks and signed it over. And he had a picture of him with headlocks on both of them. And uh, right there in front of that picture was a, a big old ashtray with a big cigar butt from one of Pop's old stogies still sitting in the ashtray from the last time he was in the man cave writing a wrestling mm. show. And it, it was still uh, sitting there. And then I just got a chill all over me when I saw it. 
and I had uh, the, the person that was with me while writing the show because I was teaching them how to write a wrestling show, how to you know either do a house show or how to script it up to do it in television style, how to time it out, and how to you know there's a lot to it, you know. And I was trying to teach them how to do that, you know. So I said, we got to take a picture of this. So I put a picture of it on it was on Facebook of Pop with the headlock on the two guys with the, the ashtray with his cigar butt still there. I, I'm leaving it there. It is. It's going to be there for as long as that building is there, and as long as I'm here, that cigar butt's going to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking at that photo as we speak. That's a great photo. Yeah, that's wonderful. That is really nice. I'm going to plug that's one from, of the that's from Pop's I, desk. Gonna plug one of the matches you got on your show that's really interesting to me is Skrilla versus Nagicism. Oh, oh boy, yes, I am very anxious to see that. Those two kids can can flat get it, and they that they have you know they got their style, they, and they've each got it. You know, both of them they don't have the same style, but they both have a high impact style. You know what I'm saying? The uh, Nagicism yeah. is more kind of Rey Mysterio-ish. You know what I mean? And uh, mm-hmm. Skrilla is more. Uh, he can do those things, but he's more technical and a little more street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, I think it's going to be. I think it's, it's a. It's going to be an awesome matchup. In fact, that's what we're going to kick the show off with. The people uh, make sure they. You know, people are going to come see the show, get there early because we are going to. We're coming. Like I said, we're going to come out swinging, and that's exactly what we're doing because that, that's going to be our opener. Well, I I love the idea that you're running in the heart of Atlanta too. Not not many try that anymore to run in run in Atlanta. So th- that's really well, interesting. I've got some people, yeah, I've got some people working with me that uh, it was actually their idea, you know, because they live out in that area and they're way more familiar. Because I'm out, I'm old country boy, old South Side boy, you know, and uh, but they're more familiar with the areas and the locations, the venues and stuff. And this is a whole new venue. I don't think they've ever had wrestling there. It used to be a church. And now they've turned it into a studio. So uh, I'm really anxious to go there. You know, it's uh, like you said, it's inside. You're running in Atlanta, man. That's 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 cool. We're in the inside the perimeter, and and we're going to be rocking. We got a good show lined up too. Some of the kids, all all the kids. I got a mixed gender tag match that's going to be coming on. And uh, I, you know, I had my idea to do that. And I thought it was an, an, an original idea, but then I saw that other people were doing it too. But I thought, you know, what what a great idea because I have young ladies that come down there and work out that are, man, they put it in, they put their work in just like the guys, and they work out with the guys. And there's a couple of them that can uh, that have been trained, you know, because uh, I have people that aren't just wrestle trained. I have people that come in uh, like I've got some uh, one of my uh, guys is uh, jujitsu is his deal. So I don't. I don't want cookie cutter mold, folks. I want people. If you're a jujitsu expert, then let's work that into your style. If you're a boxer, let's work that into your style. If you're, you know, whatever your athletic, you know, background or prowess is, we try to incorporate that into what you do, so that not everybody's going out there just doing the standard lockup, has lock, dink, 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 you know, the same old thing, you know. And I try to, you know, I want different looks, different feels. I want different characters. I want people, you know, and I think I've got that in this card coming up. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into this again, but as we're going to continue to talk, can, Nick, can you give us uh, the logistics? Uh, how can people get tickets, when, where, all that good stuff, which usually we say for the end, but I want to make sure people are really hearing that more than once. 
oh, man, you've got me over the barrel now because I just walked in my front door and I have nothing written down. I can tell you the name of the building, and it's it's um, it's mixed yeah. uh, deity. It's, it's in, and I can tell you it's off the of Boulevard Avenue. It's inside the perimeter. I believe it runs off of, off of 20. But I, as far as the street address, I don't have anything written down with me. We'd have to we'd have to pull that up. But you can go. There's a link. That I'm not even. I couldn't even use the information. But well, I'm about useless for my own interview, right? But I can uh, But there's a link you can click on to to go ahead and and get your ticket and be you know so you have everything reserved and uh, and they have. Uh, it's a BYOB event, so you can drink, but you have to be of age, of course, and you have to buy a wristband. And the wristband is, is a small fee for that, but other than that, the show is free to the public. So, uh, oh my God, in there awesome! We're, we're we're coming in there and showing them what we got with our first show, and we're hitting them hard, and then we're hoping to come back. And uh, you know, they'll, they'll, when we come back, then we you know we'll. We'll have a show. We'll, we'll have a, a door to charge, but this first one, we're coming to the neighborhood, and we're wanting to, you know, we're wanting to come into the neighborhood and let them know, hey, we're here. Come visit us and look at what we got. And that address would be 575 Boulevard Southeast for this Thank for this you show. Thank so folks. much for bailing me out on that. <laughs> yeah, five. So yeah, you are in the heart there of Atlanta. I guess that might. I guess that would be considered Grant Park. I'm thinking. Yeah, that's Grant Park, not, not I think it's right in the Grant Park area. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be right down Ooh. there. Because I hadn't seen the building myself yet. The people that I've got, that I've got uh, helping me with the show are the ones that uh, they lined it up. I've seen pictures now, but I haven't uh, I haven't <laughs> been down there yet myself. But I'm anxious uh, to see it. It's going to be cool. It's going to be a good look for us. It's going to be a unique look. Because I'm, I'm trying to present, if you've seen my first, uh, I've had three Deep South shows already. And uh, we ran them right out of that metal building where I trained because uh, I had kids in there working out one night. I had about six or eight kids in there, and I, and, was, and and only two of them was rookies. The rest of them were experienced kids that come down there to work just to work out and get polished. And everybody surrounded the ring and was watching while they was working and was just into the match, giving them up, you know, giving it up like they were fans, beating on the mat and trying, you know, when it was time to try and fire up. And there was an electricity in that building. I thought, man, if I could just if I could just translate this somehow, you know. And then even when 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 I saw the girls in there working with the guys doing the same thing, I said, man, you know, it's not something I want to do up and down the card, but I want to have a mixed tag division where everybody wrestles everybody, because you can tell stories with it. You know, it gives you an out. You know, I didn't I didn't really per se like. And I really like the girl, and I like her work, the Tessa Blanchard. But uh, I did not like the angle where she was ended up being the world champion, you know, of all the guys and everything. And and I don't know, maybe that sounds sexist. I don't know. It's just, you know, but I'm just trying to be honest. I just didn't. It just wasn't something well, that I bought, you know. And, and I, th- I don't think that I'm alone in that. No, you're I not. I don't think so either. <laughs> I, you know, I'm da- I'm down for whatever, right? But. Uh, the Tessa yeah. Blanchard thing, it's its how they went about it. I'm, I've, you know, I think Sammy Callahan was probably the right guy for her to work with. But, I mean, her ascending yeah. to the title match was ridiculous. Watching her throw around and beat up Brian Cage looked so yeah. ludicrous. I'm, I'm convinced that lost. that <laughs> – yeah. I, I think – I thought the Brian Cage stuff in particular just looked – what it looked like was what it was which was a yeah. big, huge, strong guy 
carrying and basically throwing himself into mood. I thought that there's just yeah. so many other ways they could have gone about it. And th- that was the part yeah. that really got me, honestly. Yeah. Hey, yeah, uh, well, Nick, one more. A, uh, trying to, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying that uh, I, you know, I was thinking by, by giving it, keeping them in tag matches, you can tell stories. You know, you can, you know, you can mix them up. But if somebody starts to get in trouble, you tag out. You know, you work as a team. If you think you see two, you know, you tag your partner. It, watch old Rock and Roll Express and, and and Midnight Express matches. You know, when you tag and you're tag, you know, it's not just one person getting in and doing something and then okay, now I'm going to tag you in. Now you get in and you do your thing. It's t- people working together as a team. You know, and and I think if we, if you're doing that, you can you can do it and have it still make sense. You know, if somebody starts to get in trouble, you scoot, you spoop, boom, tag, you get out. You know, and uh, yeah, it, and you can tell stories with it. You know, that's the main thing because at the end of the day, that's what we do. We we tell we're telling stories. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. I had uh, one other memory lane trip. I wanted to uh, question. I wanted to ask you about which was your thoughts on the whole, uh, your um, run as the uh, NWO referee. Oh, that was a blast. I had so much fun doing that. That was, and, you know, that's probably what I'm most noted for. You know, there, there's, there was a couple things that I always get asked about. I get asked about that one match with uh, with Hogan and Sting and that was supposed to have been mm-hmm. a fast count. That, uh, so that, that's always gets asked. And, uh, and uh, the NWO stuff too. That's you know that's uh, those are the two things that were the that real standouts that people ask about. But the NWO thing was a, was an absolute blast to do. It was a lot of fun, and I actually had some heat there for a while. <laughs> people, yeah, you did. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I had to have Doug Dillinger in a couple of towns actually have to help me get to my car and stuff. I was like, you know. And, uh, Oh, wow. You don't get a whole lot of heat like that anymore. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I seen JBL have to have that done when he was doing this thing with Eddie Guerrero, and uh, down in South Texas, especially there was a couple of times he had to have security help him get to his car. And it's like, man, you know, we we told him it's sports entertainment. Did they not get the memo? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> but you but you want folks to buy into it like that. You want you you know that's that's what we do. You know, if they can forget that. You know, I compare wrestling to like magic. You know, the people know that magic is a magic trick. But they don't want to see through it. You know, they don't want to see the wires hanging down. You want to think, holy crap, how do they do that? You know, and if you just, you know, I compare wrestling to doing the same thing. You know, it's you, you keep it tight. You give them something that they, that, that, whoa, that had to hurt, or whoa, he's really mad. You know, or you know, you, you give them those things. You don't just say, you, you just don't expose it you know and you know, I, i'm still i'm not so staunchy old school kayfabe but i am kayfabe enough to where you know i hate it when promos and, and when guys are doing shoot promos and they just come out and just openly talk about the angle that they're doing and sitting in the, you know and then that, 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 you know it's like well let's keep some of this a mystery so it's still entertaining you know yeah oh so that's just that's just an old guy blowing off, you know. <laughs> well, here's another old guy blowing off. The one that Bob still bothers me is the heel and the baby face have a match, then go out during intermission and stand at gimmick tables next to each other, selling their stuff. Oh yeah, that's not cool. No, that's not good. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that's not good. But I, you well, know, you know, you'll you'll see you'll see all kinds of stuff at different levels, you know. 
Some shows are, are really, and I'm, I can't knock the indie level because there are some shows that are really well put together, and there are some oh, yeah. shows that, are, that you know, that's got kids that are that are. You're thinking, damn, how come this guy is on on that roster or whatever, you know? But this, yeah. there are some you're like, oh my goodness, this guy runs his own shows with his tax return so that he can wear the wear the belt that he bought online. <laughs> uh, there's been a couple of shows that I didn't realize and on the way home I thought oh my goodness I hope nothing happens to me on the way home because if I die this would have been the last damn thing I did in the wrestling business <laughs> <laughs> well Larry you know uh, in addition to Nick Patrick um interviewing him. Um, we were going to have a discussion, Nick, which we'd love for you to be a part of. Um, talking about right. recently, there have been some sort of fan, kind of fan incident in the Georgia area. And so we just kind of wanted right. to have a, a roundtable discussion um, about, I don't know, your experiences and all that kind of stuff. Larry, we, we had one other person we were going to bring on to talk about this, right? Yeah. Uh, so, Nick, this, uh, we're, this gentleman, uh, Duke Ingraham, he's been doing some writing and reporting for GWH, and he's actually been at a couple of shows where these incidents took place, and uh, has he uh-huh. had some thoughts on them. So I thought we would, we would have him on and, and uh, talk it over a little bit. So it's okay with you. We're going to bring him on now. Sure. I hadn't heard about but any of the incidents. I like. I don't know what happens. <laughs> this would be new well. I, I think. I think he'll fill us in here. Do, do we have you, Duke? Hey guys, can you hear me? Hey, hey we sure can, Duke. Awesome. It's an honor to be on with you guys tonight. Thank you. It's good to have you. So um, let's just let's just jump into the incidents that we're talking about. So one of them is Southern violence, and I guess we can bring that up later, but. Um, the other was anarchy. So really lay out for us what happened, because otherwise the anarchy show was great, right? Biggest house that they've drawn, 300 people in that building. Um, it's just great stuff happening all night long. But w- tell us what happened with these, I guess, two or three fans in particular. Yeah, it was uh, three fans, uh, late teens, early 20s. Uh, they were sitting uh, sitting front row, and they came in, and, you know, first couple of matches, they were, you know, saying some stuff to the heels and things like that, and it was, you know, some of it was actually kind of funny, but as the night went on, when they realized that they were getting attention and they were getting, you know, you know a pop from the crowd and things like that, it just kind of got worse and worse, and then uh, during intermission, they went and got drunk, and they came back, and from that point, it just, you know, really went downhill. Did they get uh, vulgar, or were they just, just just being aggressive? Well, you know, they they never got vulgar. Like they never really said anything offensive. But um, you know, Nick Halen was out there doing a promo, and he was talking about going through a divorce and losing his house and all kinds of stuff. And they were, you know, making jokes about that, and you know, really just taking the attention away from it um, to the point to where some anarchy faithful were, you know, telling them to shut up by this point. Um, but, you know, it was at the end when the, uh, you know, the rejects were having their reunion and, you know, Tank was on the microphone thanking the crowd. And, you know, he just one of the one of the guys just wanted to stand up and, you know, it was like, Tank sucks. And, you know, it really just took away from the moment. You know, I'm sure it ruined the moment from Tank. It ruined the moment for the fans. And 
you know, it, it set Tank off. Yeah, and these guys, uh, from from looking at the video, these were not people that normally came to wrestling there. Um, no, I've never I've never seen them at Anarchy before. Um, somebody that I go to wrestling with said they they thought they saw them at Southern Violence a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not exactly 100 percent sure about that. So definitely never seen them at Anarchy before. And then of course at at Southern Violence, the the incident in question was basically somebody using the N word. Now, different people give different stories that, oh, he only did it like in the main event, but then other people, including a referee who worked the show, said he had done it throughout the night. Um, Eventually they threw that guy out, but not before um, he was there. Just, I I think all of this stuff seems to have the, the common theme is wrestling fans who are making, who are pulling focus and making it about themselves. And I, th- I think that's the sort of common denominator of this. It feels like it's gotten out of hand. Now, we, wrestling is a very unique thing, right? Like, you want heat. You want, I mean, Nick Patrick's talking about having to have a security guard because he's a heel referee, right, <laughs> in, in the late 90s, right? But it's about fans who are basically ruining the enjoyment of other people um, in the show. I, I think that's a pretty much a common thing we can all agree on. Like that's what you don't want. There's fans who are making it about themselves. How are you going to stop that though? I mean, it, it's our, it, it's our job to try and get a reaction out of the people and you're not always going to get the reaction yeah. that you want. And if they're not being vulgar, and they're not using, you know, dropping f bombs and you know, and being vulgar. Then, then I was always taught that if three drunk teenagers can steal the thunder from what's going on in the ring, then the guys in the ring aren't doing their job. And, I, and I'm not trying to get heat on guys or independent guys, but that's the bottom line. It's our job to dictate the tempo to what goes on, and there's always and. and and it's a hard lesson to learn. Big crowds, yeah. you know, everybody thinks that big crowds are hard to work. Oh, my God, you're going to be in front of 10,000 people. You're going to free. You know, those are easy to work because those people are happy to be there. They want to be there. They're sold out. You know, the, the, most of the time, the lid blows off the roof when off the first tackle in a house like that. It's them little shows that you know where you got where you can hear two or three people talk. Those are hard, but that you have to learn from that. You can't kick your feet and cry about that. It's your job as a professional wrestler. If you're going to be a professional wrestler and it's going to be your job instead of a hobby, then it's your job to control the tempo of that. And it's it's your job to be in charge and entertain the people and to not let three drunk teenagers take over and, and let them get under your skin to where you lose control. Then you're not in control of the situation. And if you're not entertaining the people enough to where they're popping on what you're doing, they're popping off of what these three drunk kids are saying, then you need to get somebody in that ring that can get the people to pop. That's a great also, point. You know, I wonder about security's role in a thing like this. So you got guys, they're, they're not throwing anything in the ring, they're not jumping the rail, they're not using vulgar language, but they're disrupting the show in the sense of disrupting the enjoyment of other fans. Um, so what does security do in that situation? 
Well, hadn't done anything yeah. wrong. Last I checked, this was the United States of America where you've got free speech. Hmm? True enough. I, you, you, I, I can only speak for myself. So, you know, at Platinum Championship Wrestling, um, I don't know if anybody could even get away with this today. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. whenever you had somebody who was going out of their way to disrupt a show, I mean, that's what we're yeah. talking about. Like, right. somebody who's just... And it's and it's and not that it hasn't always existed in wrestling. Definitely, I mean we're in an age where the WWE has literally branded its fan base, right? WWE Universe, where ECW <laughs> made it a thing to highlight individual fans. They had names, right? Their Hat Guy and their Face No More Guy, and and those guys saw themselves as what they were and this this isn't just like a drunk unruly thing i think this is like a i don't know just beyond the pale so in porterdale we would just have a guy who was just determined to wreck the vibe of the show right i'm gonna i'm gonna boo the baby faces i'm gonna i i mean i think it's it's the guys interrupting tanks thing so it's this sincere-ish moment that everybody's into but these guys at this point are so beyond the pale that it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to just shit on this moment. Right. It, the equivalent of, you know, Ric Flair giving some heartfelt thing and all of a sudden somebody just bellowing out from the crowd in order to ruin the moment and draw focus for themselves. Those kind What's of fans, when I that? saw it, I mean, What's the difference of that and John Cena going out there doing his thing and half the people cheering for him, and the other half saying John Cena sucks. Let's go Cena, Cena sucks. Let's go Cena, Cena. And what's the difference? You well, check I out hear- half of the people. Those that half of that crowd that thinks that Cena sucks, boy, that sure ruined the moment. Let's kick all of them out. True, but I mean, what what about if somebody's having like? a more sincere moment, right? A quiet thing. They're cutting a promo. It's just very, see, WWE doesn't delve in that realm anymore. <laughs> right. But other promotions that do, um, you know, if you're going to try like, to jerk a tear, if you're going to try to jerk a tear out of an, or an independent crowd and expect everybody to get on and not have one person fart at it, then good luck. <laughs> Maybe I mean Larry, when you were being inducted, right? So yeah, that, I mean I think that's apropos. So Larry's being inducted into their Hall of Fame in that building, and one fan, Jeff G. Bailey, <laughs> who's you know doing his thing and trying to introduce Larry, and this guy in the crowd just decides to make this moment that really uh, has nothing to do with like an audience, honestly. And he and Jeff dealt with it by tearing the guy's head off verbally and it was yeah, great yeah. and wonderful and and again if i'm tank i mean i you know nick is pulling me over on his side on this thing <laughs> it, it, at that it, point it, like you know yeah to, to, to nick's point that thing at the induction thing i mean jeff took control of the situation there's no way that fan was going to control the situation it wasn't going to happen bingo bingo that's what a professional does. You're supposed to be the one in charge. And, and that's what happened at Anarchy. But at the end of the show, the fans were controlling the situation. Everybody yeah. was watching them as opposed to watching, you know, the rejects reunion in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. 
I dare say well, the PCW yeah, I still audience. Stand by my statement. I still stand by my <laughs> earlier statement, man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for those kids that it didn't work for them. But if 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 you're giving it your best shot, and there's three drunk teenagers out there that's outshining you, then you might better take it to find a different, a better shot. You know. Mm-hmm. That's just 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 my opinion. You know, if you're you know, how can you let three drunk teenagers? It's wrestling, Nick, guys. What, what, I mean, yeah, I mean, a tender moment. I understand you want to have a tender moment and all that, but it's wrestling for goodness' sake. People are going to boo. People are going to yay. They're going to have that. You know, that's what they're come to do. Not everybody's going to be on the same page. They come to. Yeah. It's our job to, to give them that release so they can. You know, here's their chance where they can look at somebody that can whoop their button and just tell them off. You know what I mean? And nothing happened. You know, it's 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 it's, it's a release. It's a, it's a way to escape reality. You know, and, and there's always there's always going to be that hey everybody look at me person. But hell, you're going to get some of them in the locker room too. You know, so you know it's how can you you shut this? I just don't get it. You're, you know, you're supposed to be the one in charge. You know, and it's it's crazy. And I know everybody wants to have this serious drama moment. And I understand that, but it's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on! <laughs> so, so are we drawing the line at vulgarity? Definitely. And, then, yeah, uh, it... and I do. It depends on the crowd too. Now, there's different kinds of wrestling crowds, and I don't. Yeah. If you if you kick people out from vulgarity, then ECW wouldn't have been able to have a show. <laughs> Heck, mm-hmm. one of their mm-hmm. one of their stars stole the whole effing show. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was part of you know dropping an f bomb was part of the gimmick. You know, it's, it's, so it, it, to me, it depends on the crowd and depends on where you're at. You know, if you know what kind of wrestling company that is, and that's their gig is to go out there and to throw throw weapons and cuss and then cut fingers off and and, and shoot bomb down, then, then you're going to you see some offensive stuff. But if you're going to see a family entertainment, yeah, then somebody that's going to jump up and use vulgar language and, you know, and, and make somebody that's there with their children uncomfortable, they got to go. Yeah. And, and you know, anarchy gets a lot, anarchy gets a lot of families and, you know, there, there were a lot of children in the crowd and yeah, I was, I was talking to a, a wrestler last night and we were talking about it when, when Tank was, when Tank was on the mic uh, going back at the guy. Any other restaurant, any other night, they would have cut the mic because of, you know, Tank going you know back. You, need, you know what some of these kids need to do? They need to watch some stand-up comedians and find out how they cut mm. off how they cut off the loud marks. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. simple. You just look at them. Yeah, I remember my first beer. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. you just kind of laugh at them and make them look stupid and carry on with your thing, and you don't acknowledge them anymore. You know, once you've made them look stupid, then they're then, – then they just make themselves look even more stupid the more they keep running them out, you know. But you can't kick them out as long as they're not using abusive language or threatening language. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and what what I was saying about what I when I brought up security, what I was thinking about was not tossing these guys out, but what if security went over and said, "Hey, you know, some of the other fans here are not appreciating this. Could you chill a little bit? Just talk to them about it." Okay. Now maybe these guys well, would have said, you know, would have just blown them off. You know, I don't know, but I, I wonder about I that. I found that I, even, that was me even, and I was there. 
Yeah. If it was me and I was there and I was having fun, bagging on the baby faces, and security come up and says, hey, buddy, back off a little bit. I'd say, blow it out your ass. <laughs> you know, they'd, have, they'd, es- they'd escort me out the door. <laughs> okay. I mean, some things you do, some things you don't do, you know. It's a job to get a reaction out of people. If people was reacting, then they wouldn't have heard those three kids uh, over-talking those people. And <laughs> you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I think the issue at anarchy was the the distraction that it became and the way that it was bothering the other people in the crowd. So, you know, the, if it reaches a point to where it's creating a negative fan experience for the other people, you know, do you, do you kick them out then? I, I guess that's where the modern sensibilities run into – sort of the wrestling sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. I've I, never I, seen I a crowd of, I've never seen a wrestling crowd where people say, gee, those three guys over there, they're kind of offensive. I, I, I don't think I'm going to come back. You know, the wrestling crowds I've been to would have ragged on those three guys and would have turned on them. You know, then, <laughs> then you, don't, you know what I'm saying? I, and yeah. I, just, I, I, can't, I, I just can't picture the whole thing. I don't know, maybe I'm from a different, I am from a different time era, but, um, but yeah, I just you know some of the some of the things that 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 uh, are a thing now never used never used to be a thing. You know, I, I, don't, I, I think uh, you know when you look at it's not so much WWE, um, but in AEW they've had a couple of instances where um, one of them was like Moxley's return after rehab, and that one fan was just determined to yell stuff. And Moxley quickly cut him off and just goes like, eh, shut the fuck, go fuck yourself, get that guy out of here. And the crowd popped, and then he immediately took the moment back, and he was fine. And then in another thing recently, I mean, there was a fan that was determined to sort of yell and scream while CM Punk was doing his cross-legged, I'm talking to the crowd thing. And in that case, um, that you could tell the crowd sort of shouted that guy down or regulated him. And yeah. I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in sort of social mores being more powerful than the law, you know, this idea of... Yeah, I'm, just totally not, I'm just totally not in favor of security going and telling people what they're supposed to think, what they're supposed to feel, and what they're supposed to say. I'm with that. Uh, you, you've completely convinced me of that. Like, I, and again, and what are we, and security in an indie show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like <laughs> well, we're not exactly yeah, talking about atlas well, security my, here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, not atlas security, right? <laughs> <laughs> but and, and you know, I, I think we I think we can all agree. You know, the guy saying the n word at Southern Violence—that's a whole that that's in good. the realm of the vulgar and beyond vulgar. And again, yeah, they can can argue all they want. Oh, we didn't want to interrupt Amina. Like that, you no, just, you just nip that in the to. bud. Like that's like, that, you know, like, shut the hell up and get out. Like, that's it. Like, I, you know. I, I don't understand how one thing could be a question and the other thing not be, you know what I mean? That's how yes. mixed up the priorities are at some of these shows. That's what is so frustrating sometimes. That's like one of them shows that I talked about earlier. Boy, I hope I make it home safe. <laughs> <laughs> I 
You know, the, the thing about the, yeah. the, well, I was going to say the thing about the southern violence issue was, you know, fans said they heard him saying it throughout the night, and I can't imagine that a fan hearing that wouldn't go to security or somebody at some point. Yeah. You, I'm, well, but that's because security is some dude who didn't want to buy a ticket who they put on a shirt that said security, right? Like, yeah. we're not talking yeah. again well, about paid. One of the kids, it's, one of, it's one of the kids that's getting trained at the, uh, at the wrestling school that they slap the security shirt on. That's what right. that is. More than I, 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 most of the time. The most successful security, quote-unquote, crew I ever saw in an indie show was Gangrel has – um, or he had the, the wrestling asylum, right? So they were students of his, but clearly trained and told what to do. They were sort of evenly yeah. spaced, and they were more there. They weren't there as a negative. They were there as a positive, right? So you would come yeah. in, they would greet you, they would say like, oh, if you have any questions, I saw that there were a couple of seats over here available. You might want to think about that. We're going to get started yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, like, this is like the freaking Chick-fil-A of wrestling, right? Like, <laughs> this is crazy. And I thought, my God, why doesn't everybody do this? You know, it really created yeah. this great atmosphere. Even if I did it, you know, I was a drunk dude who certainly wasn't going to be afraid of some 19-year-old whatever. But I yeah. might, I might, you know... Ah, that kid was super cool to me. I'm going to be cool, right? That was yeah. the atmosphere. And yeah. uh, I, I, would, I would encourage that, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? And we're talking mm-hmm. about throwing people out or having security talk to them. Mike, I think just setting up a proper atmosphere will help take care of, if not all of this, a lot of it, certainly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a good point because the the atmosphere at Southern Violence is very much one where the wrestlers interact, the fans interact with the wrestlers more. You're very close to the ring. The fans enter. The wrestlers enter through the fans. Um, there's a lot of banter, you know, back and forth, even between matches between the wrestlers and the fans. So the, the name of the band, promotion is Southern Violence. I mean, right. if that isn't just begging for drunken assholes, that that sounds uh, like are the, the, ones, the king of the drunken assholes. Are they the ones that was up, Are they the ones that was upset because somebody was talking through a tender moment? No, that was the N word show. That was Anarchy. Okay, <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. sorry. That's <laughs> that's not the, that is not the. Calling it the tender moment. It's wonderful. Yeah, that okay. tender moment thing gets this this flabbergasted me, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I one thing that I think is interesting is because now thanks to Georgia Wrestling History and Larry Goodman and guys writing reports like Duke, now it's like we're all privy to hearing about these things. And yeah. uh, I imagine um, what I'm hoping is that people kind of realize, like, uh, I think Nick's point's very valid, right? Wrestling fans are wrestling fans. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I haven't been the smart-ass dude in the crowd. I mean, could you imagine when I used yeah. to go to – AWA shows in Hawaii. <laughs> we were I grew the worst. Up with my I dad remember. as a heel. 
I grew up with my dad as a heel. If I ever went to the shows in Atlanta when I was in high school with my buddies, me and my buddies always cheered for the heels. It was just it was weird, you know. I mean, I would kick them out. I don't know why. You know, it's, it just don't make sense. I mean, I remember, you know, we go to this, the WWF would do runs through Hawaii, but usually they were incredibly terrible shows, right? They were the C-list show at best. And so Nikolai Volkov was in the main event against George the Animal Steel. So he's sitting there doing the Russian National Anthem, which in Hawaii is a different feel altogether. They're generally not like rah-rah America. But people were, like, you know, booing. My friend Ray stands up, and <laughs> and he's in his, like, CCCP, like, hockey jersey, and he's, like, polluting oh, Nikolai Volkov. And people started throwing cups at him, and we thought it was the greatest <laughs> thing of all time. We just thought it was wonderful, yep. you know. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah, I mean, I think pretty much a consensus here um, – Vulgarity is where you draw the line, but you have to assess what kind of wrestling crowd you're around, right? You gotta you gotta read the room, yeah. social mores, and uh, you know when in doubt. Again, as Jeff used to always say, again PCW. I these guys in their crowds, PCW crowds to me were the roughest. We ran in the heart of Atlanta, right, mm-hmm. where our crowd was either smart mark wrestling fans or people that never went to wrestling that only went because we were the weird thing in town so we got very strange kind of crowd reactions jeff 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 g bailey who saved the larry goodman induction by destroying that guy verbally he said i've never experienced that he came out to cut his first promo as you know once his heel group took over the company and stuff and all those guys matt hankins and that whole crew who we dumped team all you can eat all those fat dudes who took up the first row just made white noise larry so all they did was just go ha as a collective as loud as they could whenever jeff tried to speak literally just did nothing but just make loud noise and jeff was like I've been doing this shit for 20, 30 years. <laughs> He's like, I never experienced that. But you know what? He still won. Because as Jeff says, I've got a microphone and you don't. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed there, to win, you know. There's always that. You know, like the AWE uh, crowds in Atlanta were notoriously, at, at certain points, r- tough crowds. But, the, the, I mean, it was just it was back and forth cursing between the wrestlers and the fans. But that's that's what you did, yeah. and the wrestlers the wrestlers knew what they had to do in that environment, and they did it. Yeah. And the fans expected that. Yeah, they did. You know, that's, that's exactly what they expected. That was, yeah. you know, they had their fan base, and those then that particular group came to to do that. You know, uh, they didn't cater to to the families. You know? No, no, it was not. Definitely I mean, I'm not. sure there were some families that went, but it wouldn't, you know, very they few, to the normal. Very few at those yeah. shows. So, yeah, it was, right. it was okay in that environment to do that. Right. Well, guys, I uh, I love the discussion. I think, uh, I think we arrived at a pretty good place. I know there's a number of people, Gary Lamb, amongst others, uh, contacted me and said he was going to be listening tonight. So. Um, hopefully we gave some little pearls of wisdom, um, 
for any any last words from anybody on, on this topic or anything else, Nick, please tell us about the show one more time. Oh man, we're gonna have a great show. I got five big matches lined up. All all good, experienced hands. I look for kids that work hungry and that uh, that work hard. You know, there's 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 a difference of working hungry and working like you think you're over. If you are over. You can do a routine, you know, and people want to see some of the routine stuff, you know, because you've got, you know, you've got signature moves and stuff that they, you know, that they, they want to see. But when you're young and you're, they're not sure who you are, you've got to work hungry. You can't just go out there and lollygag and act and flop around and act like you're over. You know, and so I've got uh, the people that I book on my shows all work hungry. You're not going to see some, some old guy that's, uh, 55 years old, smoking a cigarette in the back, putting it out with a big beer belly and going out there and turning blue five minutes into the match. You know, you're not going <laughs> to see that on Deep South Go. So, so come on down and have some fun because I've got some kids that are going to go out there and light them up. Uh, well, this has, been a, this has been a pleasure, Nick. And, that's uh, of course, that's Friday night at Mixed Deities on Boulevard Avenue in Chicago guys. if you want to check out Nick's show. Thank you guys very much for having me, man. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you Thank for you joining us. All right, guys. Y'all have a good night, man. Thank you. You, you, you too. You well. Bye-bye. Bye. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Duke, as, as the guy who, I mean, you get to more of the heavy hitter shows than anybody, even Larry at this stage, right? I mean, you're a regular at Anarchy, you're a regular at Southern Honor, you're a regular Mm -hmm. at Southern Fried. And Larry can speak on this as well, as a guy who's been all three of those shows multiple times. Is there a difference um, in the kind of crowds that they get? I mean, the obvious answer is yes, but... How are they different? Those three crowds I'm talking about. You know, it's a it's a pretty significant difference. Um, you know, the Anarchy crowd and the Southern Fried crowd are very closely related. They draw a lot of the same fans. You know, I think they're within an hour of each other. Um, it's a little bit of a different environment, I guess. Um, you don't hear a lot of cussing at the Southern Fried shows. I don't know no. if that's just something that they've established, you know, over the years. Like, you know, that's something we're not going to tolerate. You do hear it a little is. more of that. You, you do hear a little more of that at Anarchy. Um, you know, and Southern Honor, that's just a fan base unlike any other because you have so many people who are, you know, just Gary Lamb fans. And, you know, you have so many people who are just people who are – maybe not even wrestling fans, but just live in Canton and know that this is an entertainment source. And then the wrestling fans you get, you get such a variety of like the smartest of the smart marks to, you know, the, uh, you know, the mouth breathers, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, yeah. So, so from there, you know, there is really just a mixed bag as far as, you know, the, the atmosphere, and it really just kind of depends on where you sit, honestly, because it's just, you know, so many mm. different fan types at Southern Honor. Yeah, certainly I would say the at Southern Honor, definitely uh, more vulgarity is allowed. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for sure than at either of those other shows. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have fans being vulgar at uh, either Anarchy or uh, a little bit at Anarchy, like Duke said. Definitely not at Southern Pride. That's not part of the culture no, there. No, not at all. 
No, and, and it's weird because Southern Honor's in a church, you know, so. <laughs> Indeed. Though it is a Gary Lamb church, so that's my asterisk. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah and uh, I think that one thing about the, the anarchy incident is you do have a very – I think you have hmm, – well, I guess you have it. To, you have it at all three of these shows, but you have somewhat of a, a tight knit uh, fan group that's been going to these shows. A lot of them for a long time, and um, would take I, I, offense I, I to, this, to these outsiders. Like, like Th- that, guys that, that building has a legacy, and the other two don't yet. I mean, I, that's a clear difference to me. Like, I, I was shocked to hear that anybody would have interrupted the tank thing. Tank thing that, you know, Nick dubbed a tender moment, which just cracks me up to no end. But, but you know, I am shocked that they would sh- shit on that moment. If, if nothing else, I mean, I'd be like, even if you were brand new and drunk as shit, I would just figure, like, read the room, right? It's just like, but, again, you know, at that point, that guy isn't, he doesn't care about anything, right? He's just like, I'm just going to say my shit to entertain myself and my buddies. So. And uh, Duke, you no, said these right. guys you were filming the, what they were doing. They were yeah, they were they were filming throughout the night. And yeah, I was I was talking to Hanson last night. We were talking about the incident, and I said, you know, I thought I saw them at Southern Violence. They had said something about going to Southern Honor and Southern Pride this upcoming weekend. And he said, you know, these guys could possibly be podcasters or social media influencers or influencers mm-hmm. or some kind of personalities who are, you know, trying to get, you know, footage to put out there for whatever reason. And, you know, if that's the case, and it's something that should definitely be stopped because they could easily manipulate that footage to make, you know, Georgia wrestling look very bad. I, you know, we actually had a guy like that. I didn't want to tell this story with Nick Patrick on because he would have been completely like horrified. But, you know, when I went to one of the Porterdale shows after I was no longer in control of them. Right. And there was a guy who was just determined to hijack the show and he's sitting there yelling stuff. So I listened for the first match. And then during the second match, I just walked over to him and I went, Hey, you know who I am? And he went, no. And I went, I'm the platinum in platinum championship wrestling. Shut the fuck up. And just walked away from him. <laughs> and he got the most hangdog, sad look on his face. And then during intermission, he just didn't come back. And it was just another piece of all the times I had sort of like, I just wasn't, I mean, Harold J. Taylor, who was, you know, part of the Team All You Can Eat gang, who took pictures of the shows. He was just a fixture in Georgia wrestling forever. Everybody knows who he is, right? But one night, I'm sitting there. I guess Nick would call it a tender moment, right? I'm, I'm going to cut this sort of like shooty promo. And he made some kind of comment or joke. And I didn't pause what I was saying. I rolled out of the ring, and I slapped him so goddamn hard, his glasses flew off and knocked him to the ground. And everybody was horrified. And I went, nobody fucking interrupts me. And I got back in that ring. And, you know, again, like the stuff that I did, I don't think you could really get away with anymore. But maybe you couldn't even then. But my thing was like, um, you're here to 
enjoy a show. <laughs> and beyond that, um, the show isn't about you. Now, I'm going to give you the greatest. Like, that was my sort of, un, like, unspoken contract. You're going to see stuff at this show that you're not going to see at any of the wrestling show. And it's going to be the coolest experience. But I'm not going to allow you to take over the show. Even the team all-you-can-eat guys. I, now, I had an advantage in that I was on live commentary, especially in the early days. And I had a lot of experience in shutting people down or humiliating them. And, and I would do that as the babyface owner. I would just tear our fans to shreds if I thought it was warranted. And they learned, right? They learned. I, and I had show after show to do it. I think that's another problem because even the shows that run more frequently, what does that mean? Once a month? Twice a month, maybe? Um, that's not the same as... I have to set the tone and then reinforce it with two shows a week. And all those, all those regulars had plenty of time to learn. And you know what they ended up doing? Educating everybody else as they came in. Like, you can say this, you can get away with almost every crazy thing. You try to derail some shit, Steve's going to let you know about it, and you're not going to like it. And well, and, and I don't... Steve, I have to say, having watched you do that in there... I would say you had a huge advantage having that mic in your hand at all times. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody was you, – you, you, you had the mic. You were going to control any – no matter how rowdy or, or, or anybody got in there, no matter what, what kind of crazy stuff they said, you had the mic. Well, and it also allowed, in a positive way, it allowed me to introduce and basically push through concepts that people – when we started running Porterdale – the attitude was, oh, you can't do the PCW show you do in Atlanta there, meaning babyface gay people, um, black guys featured almost entirely, um, women put in the positions of prominence, right, and all that kind of stuff. And my thing was bullshit. I'm not, I'll modify things to an extent, but the first time we brought Simon Sermon out there as the gay savior, I was just like, they will get with it. We will play, I'm like, Simon, I want the gayest song in the world to play for you to do this run in. And I want you to wear the most spangly drag queeny outfit that you had. That's when he debuted the uh, gladiator helmet with, with disco ball things all over it, right? And it was just like, and Porterdale will get with it. But I understood, because of my experience more in theater, and having to wrestle all over the country. Again, the guys don't have that level of... I had to work in front of hostile crowds every night who chanted litigators dead. Every time I would take a huge bump off of a balcony through a table, their response wasn't, holy shit, that was amazing. Their response was good. I hope that guy's dead every night. Right. (laughs) So again, I, my, my skin was just thicker, I guess. And so it was like, you're not going to control the show. And that, if that meant I had to put the fear of God in you um, to start, but that's not where I wanted to live. I didn't want to have mm-hmm. to live where I policed the shows. But, and, you know, it's the Bruiser Brody theory, right? Um, Bruiser Brody, when he would be new to a territory <laughs> and they give him some jobber meat to beat, he would tell the guy, I'm sorry about the first kick that I'm going to hit you with. Just know they're not all going to be that bad. And guys yeah. would go, what? 
And then he would kick the dude in the head as hard as he could that first kick. But it's because he knew it's, it's Kohlberg's morality pyramid. You have to establish a fear of punishment from the beginning, but you don't want to live there. You want to get to the point where people just want, they want, they're rooting for the show so hard. They don't want to derail it. That's really mm-hmm. what we're talking about. That's yeah. where you want to get to. That you wanted ECW, no fan base ever benefited their league more. They wanted them to get on pay-per-view. They didn't resent their growth. They wanted to see it. Whereas a lot of wrestling fans nowadays, they, they, act, they treat this thing like in, we're inside baseball and screw you that you don't know. Or they just treat it as an excuse of, oh, this is just pro wrestling, so I'm just going to come in here and cut up. Could you imagine those three jackasses at that anarchy show at a PCW show? I would have, I would have fucking, I could have grabbed them by the collar and dragged them over the rail the second match they were acting like jackasses. And I, because I just don't know any other way to be. And I'm not saying that people should do that, but I am saying like, if there's something you don't like, you got to do something about it. You just have to, you know. Well, and what you just said, though, that's really the equivalent of of security intervening. I mean, not you know that to to, to right. actually. Yeah, I mean that's that's what that that's you you didn't have you didn't have any security at PCW really, did you? And not really. And even if I did, I wouldn't have anyway. It's it's the same theory behind, you know, like. Eric Bischoff was the best commentator that WCW ever had. That sounds crazy, but just hear me out. Because he knew the stories that he wanted to tell, right? Vince McMahon at one point was the best commentator that they had in the WWF. I'm not talking in terms of quality and all that kind of – I'm just talking about he knew what he wanted conveyed. And I knew what I wanted PCW to be. I wanted it to be a raucous – I wanted it to be like – a Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of crowd, right? Like, that's, to me, that's the most apropos thing to what we're talking about with pro wrestling, okay? Like, you want the interaction. You want them to love the live performance going on. You want them to know the movie. You want them to participate at certain, this is where you throw the rice, and this is where you yell, damn it, Janet, or whatever the fuck. But what you don't want are one of those jackasses standing up and just going like, I don't like figs, or something like that, right? And so that guy, in my opinion, you got to nip it in the bud um, because that stuff's infectious. And if people don't come back, that's what we're talking about ultimately, right? If it's, it's, it's the fans who are around that maybe they won't not come back because of that thing specifically, but it definitely has set a tone that you don't want, right? Mm-hmm. I cert- like if those three guys walk back into that anarchy building, uh, if I'm in that audience, I'm just like, oh, these fucking guys. And that's exactly what you don't want, right? I had to get the team all you can eat guys. It was either like get on board with what I'm doing or fuck off. <laughs> and everybody knew that was my bottom line on everything. And you know what? Hey, Those guys ended up being Matt Hankins, grandpa, like they got it. You know? Yeah. They got and with they, it. And, 
and Corey, who really didn't get with it and wound up doing the same thing at eight. And, and worse, Corey, Corey used to, like, grab the guys. Because AWE, I, I thought AWE had had basically sealed their own fate when they let all of those neckbeards. And this is what we're talking about, right? Neckbeard, dumbass, self-involved wrestling fans, right? And they let them go right up to the ring. And so then they were, then you're going to be shocked when they grab a heel's ankle or when they push a rope or they pull a rope away so a guy can't get it to break a hold. And, like, I, at that point I go, like, the second you tell the fans you're, you're integral to our success, you've given away all of your power. <laughs> it's, it's like, do pimps tell their whores, hey, you know, without you, I don't have any money. <laughs> no, they don't. And wrestling is the biggest pimp whore business there is. It's just nowadays we've told the whole audience, you're all pimps too. And we can't be shocked when they act like pimps, <laughs> right? Hey, uh, before we go, Duke, one quick question. Did I remember right that those guys were at the Anarchy show were told not to come back when it was all when all was said and done, or were they just told to leave the building? It was my understanding they were told not to come back. Okay. Mm. I mean, you know, I get that. Um, I, you know, it's tough. I don't know if I ever told anybody they couldn't come back. I would just speak to them in such a way that they often didn't want to. (laughs) 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 But, but then sometimes they became your biggest advocates, right? And that's all of a thing of age and experience and all of that. And, I'm glad the wrestlers have to go through that. You know, Joe Black has had a number of instances where somebody was fucking with his promo or whatever, and he took the mic and tore the guys up or tore that lady up or whatever. It's part of the game. Now, I'm, you know, Gary Lamb, when we were talking on the phone today, Gary was like, yeah, because, you know, there was the first time we had Ashton Starr and somebody said faggot, right? And Gary was like, I took that guy and I threw him out and I told him like, look, man, like, like, I'm not saying you're going to be gone forever. I'm going to, and he's like, and the guy was very contrite. And I'm like, that's what you're looking for. Is this guy just an unrepentant asshole? Then throw him out mm-hmm. for good. But if it's just a guy who's lost his head, because that's part of this game too, is like, you can't, do this under the ether thing where you're going around people's intellect and tweaking their emotions and then wanting a totally predictable result. It's not possible. And you don't even want it. Honestly, you don't want a totally passive crowd. That's just miming what they're supposed to say. You want that Rocky horror crowd where they're loving being a part of the experience, but they're not pulling focus to themselves. That's the ideal you're not always going to get the ideal, but it's just how do you deal with it otherwise? Those guys just sound like, I mean, do correct me if I'm wrong. Those guys just sounded like just drunk assholes who. <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. And I think the reason they're asked not to come back, and this was just from what another fan told me, was that they actually put their hands on the security guard. I don't think it was in a violent manner or any, anything. I think it was more of a joking matter, but I think that was kind of the, line that was crossed where they said, okay, we don't, we don't want you back. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, one time a fan got in Mason's face and accidentally poked him in the face with his finger as he was pointing at Mason. Yeah, I grabbed that guy and dragged him over the rail and threw him in the middle of the locker room. He probably thought he was going to get, like, prison raped. But, you know, I threw him down there, and I'm just like, I'm like, apologize. <laughs> all I yelled was apologize. I remember I that one, yeah. Go back to the sh- yeah, and, and the guy apparently did. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. But at first he was trying to make excuses, but then he just went like, no, I mean, you know, you got in my face. And Mason admitted later, you know, he was just like, yeah, I did get in that guy's face. And, I mean, the Academy Theater was, I mean, for all the atmosphere that other people try to create, there was nothing like a hyped up Academy theater crowd. You were literally a foot away from them. You know, big spots ended up, you'd end up in people's laps Um, during very full shows. You were literally pushing your way through standing room only people to get to the ring. Um, Ron Nimi still talks about it. You know, he's just like, I had never seen a thing like that where we had to literally like, we're, we're we're literally scrunching in our shoulders to get through the crowd to get to the ring. And immediately they just, and Ron was like, and they immediately tore into me. They're just like, Oh, you're wearing basketball shorts. He's like, I'll never forget that. People are like, you're wearing basketball shorts. You know, (laughs) like this is a show like way to dress up Ron, you know, which is a line I still use because I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard a crowd say to somebody like way to dress. Thanks for dressing up, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Duke, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't get to experience this place, Duke. It was the ultimate in claustrophobic uh, spaces for wrestling. I mean, as as Steve has aptly described here tonight. Where you, Duke? Where are you going to be? This you going to be at any shows this weekend? We going to get any yes. Duke reports? Uh, probably going to be at Southern Honor this weekend. Great. Um, Friday night. Don't think I'll be anywhere Saturday night, and then possibly Game Changer the next weekend. Haven't confirmed that one yet, but oh boy, possibility. Okay. Duke, I'm going to put you. I'm going to put you on the spot. So at their last show, Southern Honor. Um, came out swinging, 500 people, um, a very, like, you know, into it crowd. Do they – what are they going to draw this show? Do you think they're going to hit 500 again? Are they are – they, are, are, do they have the pepper again? Well, you know, every, every promotion's attendance seems to, be, seems to be up, and it kind of seems like a winter trend, January, February, March, April, attendance mm-hmm. always climbs. Um, but you know they they have some heat too, you know, based off of the uh, you know the incident last month. So I don't think they're going to hit five. I think I think they'll be over four, but I I don't think they're going to break five. Mm. Okay, we, we will see. see. We will see. Larry, where are you going to be this weekend? Uh, I think it'll be Action Friday night and maybe Southern Fried on Saturday. We shall see about that. Awesome. Well, thank and, you to Nick Patrick and and somebody yeah. you know definitely go support his show. It's going to be on Friday in the Atlanta area, um, and you know there's a bunch of great shows, bunch of great stuff. Um, definitely gwhnewsandnotes.blogspot.com. I think between Duke, Rob Rod, Larry, and now Jabari putting in reports all the time. I don't, Larry, just. 
I know I say this all the time. Has it ever been like this? <laughs> well, I can Before. I can tell you with with absolute certainty. We've never there's never been four writers as good as the ones we have sending stuff in. That's never happened. That's never happened. Yeah. So thank you to Duke and Larry Goodman, and I'm Stephen Platinum. I'm not going to be going to any kind of show. Um, I'm loosely planning on getting to the Pro Wrestling Action Show on March 25th. It's their first time on a Friday night instead of a Sunday in that venue in Sanford, Florida, where they've, they've sold out every Sunday show. I don't even know what the Friday show is going to be like at that bar. It's going to be insane. Um, and in any case, um, we will see you once again on The Tipping Point. Thank you, guys. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.